0: All the music that you hear in today's podcast is from the group Duo Violão Brazil Plus One.
1: Welcome to the Brazilian Beat, episode 67. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music making community, one interview at a time. I'm Diana. And this is COVID Courtney. <laughs> How's it going? Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys are all are safe and at home. Healthy. Wearing your masks? Yes. Well, not at home. but
0: As you guys are at home and practicing your little hearts out, if you need <laughs> a new drum, a drum directly from Brazil, go to gosamba.net. I've got a bunch of samba drums, Brazilian drums, bells, straps and gear there for... Uh, all your practicing needs. So yeah, let me know. Go to Ghostampa.net. I noticed that uh Maka Parch has a strap that's
1: really pretty. <laughs> it's like purple and blue. Did you see that one? Oh yeah. He mm-hmm. posted that
0: one? That one's really nice. I think doesn't somebody has that one. Doesn't Jimmy or no, Jimmy's okay. is orange and white. Somebody has that one. Huh. I thought it, I saw he posted a picture on Instagram I thought, oh wow, that's a nice color combo. Yeah. He's got all kinds of colors. Yeah he
1: does great straps.
0: And actually, if you if your uh, group has specific colors, you can order those and yeah, oh, will awesome. make them and I can get them for you. Yeah. Same right. with uh with uh, drum heads for your bloco. Mm-hmm. gosamba.net. That's right. All right. So, um, we also want to talk about um, lesson resources. There's a lot of people in Brazil teaching lessons and the economy there is tanked, like economies everywhere, but um, we have several opportunities here for you guys to take lessons. Um, one is from Dudu Fuentes. Um, you can contact him through Instagram to talk to him about lessons. Many of you guys know him. We've interviewed him a couple times on the podcast. He's a good friend of both Diana and me. And I actually took a lesson with him today on Pandero and it was really, really fun. Um, and he even messaged me later and was like, Oh, he like sent me a video. He's like, Oh, I forgot, you should you should know this one too and add this <laughs> rhythm in there it was like really sweet so yeah um he will definitely help you and let you take videos and everything so those are really um really great resource for you also Mestre junior sampayo uh, we interviewed him i think he's episode 55 and uh a great chance to take a lesson from someone who's been around forever in the samba scene in rio and uh, Get your Kaishan Sima chops going, Pandero, Atabaki's. He teaches everything. So, um, yeah, check him out. We also have Misty
1: Ailton Nunes, who's also teaching um, lessons online. So please reach out to him. He's doing anything Samba-related, pagoji included. So um, you can reach out to him on Facebook, Instagram, all the all of the above and he's such a great guy and such a Mm -hmm. great teacher um so check him out also um our friend Pitoko who is also a a two-time guest uh he is doing lessons online so reach out to him on those same platforms and he's specifically marakatu so check him out for sure marakatu and northeastern rhythms so like Mm. koku and things like that Oh yeah,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Oh God, his swing in Coco is so good. Mm-hmm. I've got a recording of it, and I just listen to him. Like, how does he do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also we have um, Douglas Jorge Douglas as he's known in Brazil. Um, he is the Caixa director at Portela. And he also is really deep into Condomble. He also plays um, Cuban-style salsa rhythms on congas. And he can teach pretty much everything. So um, check him out. He is all over Instagram, all over Facebook. We will have links to all these people on our resources page. Right now I've just got two people up, but um, um, I will have the rest up soon on our resources page at the Brazilian Beat forward, plat- forward slash resources. So... Um check out those guys there
1: yeah please check those out because like Courtney mentioned the uh, economy is terrible you know it's a dire situation there and a lot of these teachers would be out touring right now going to Europe coming to the U.S. exactly and they're not going to have those opportunities so please reach out to them and help them um, make a living
0: Another opportunity I want to tell you guys about is with Bloco 3K. It's Rob Akari's group there in Melbourne, Australia. They're working with the Samba School in Hoshina there in Rio. They're doing a workshop, one every Saturday for the next three Saturdays. That ends up being Friday, uh, late afternoon, early evening here in the United States. They're doing Hipiki this week. Kaisha next week and third surdu the next week. You can buy, you can take the classes individually or you can pay for them all three together. and get a little bit of a discount. You can also just donate money uh, through PayPal to the program. The money goes to the teachers, but then it, the extra money will go to um, the Samba School there. And this Samba School is located in one of the biggest comunidades communi- there in Rio. It was pretty economically depressed before this and you can imagine now it's it's just getting worse and the money goes to put together these packages that where they put in uh hygiene kits and food that they passed out to the community there so it's going to a really important cause so oh they also have a translator there so um you can understand everything that's being said and the price is pretty good the dollar is strong the u.s dollar is strong so um these end up being very very affordable So this is a great opportunity. I will be there. I hope to see you guys there, too. So today on the podcast, we have interviewed Amy Molinelli. She is a professional percussionist and educator specializing in Brazilian and Latin percussion. Amy received her Master of Fine Arts from the California Institute of the Arts. Her performance and recording credits include theater and television on NBC. She's a freelance performing artist as well, and she is endorsed by Latin percussion and rhythm tech. Her last album, História do Choro with Duo Violão
1: Brasil Plus One, Amy being the plus one, was released in 2019 and was celebrated as one of the best jazz albums from the Bay Area for 2019.
0: She co-leads the Brazilian and jazz ensemble Grupo Falso Baiano with three albums to their credit. Tipoix, which was released in 2017, Simplicidade, Live at Yoshi's, and Viajando em Choro e Jazz. Grupo Falso Baiano have been featured on NPR in the California Report, uh, Radio Latina, and Pandora Live, or Pandora Live! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> her,
1: her percussion curriculum has been used and in publishing clinics and education workshops, including the Los, Los Angeles Philharmonic, the San Francisco Jazz Center, Los Angeles Music Center, Music in Schools Today, Young Audiences of Northern California, UFBA Oru Preto Brazil, Head Start, Los Angeles Music Academy, California Brazil Camp, Jazz Camp West, and many more. Her curriculum, Recycled Rhythm, was created for her artist residency of seven years at the Los Angeles Music Center. Currently, Amy is a music integration and curriculum specialist with organizations such as the San Francisco Jazz Center,
0: Living Jazz, and San Francisco Unified School District. So, so if you are listening to this in May of 2020, um, Amy will be giving a pandero workshop at the California Jazz Conservatory May 31st, 2020. She plans on she plans to answer questions on tuning, tricking out your pandero, <laughs> and rhythms. That sounds cool. Um, not really an intro class, but it's more of a dig deeper class. Um, we will have a link to that on on our website on this show page this is episode 67 amy will also be giving a class on the history of bossa nova and jazz with professor sherry keith special guests jovino santos Neto and claudia villella and more this one is on may 24th of this month and we will have a link to
1: that one as well and just a little Side note, I've known Amy for a long time from California-Brazil camp, but we haven't really gotten to know each other until kind of this past year. She was on faculty uh, teaching Pande- Pandeiro class and so many people just loved her class and she was out yeah. and about and just it was it was good to have her back at camp and um, so we thought it would be a great opportunity to interview her.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Amy.
1: Diana, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Here we are for another quarantine edition of the Brazilian Beat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm excited.
0: We have another lady on today.
1: Yes. Another friend of ours from California Brazil Camp. Percussionist from the Bay Area, Amy Molinelli. Welcome, Amy.
2: Hi, everybody. Hi. Nice to talk to you both. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for like coming on and sharing your time.
2: Thank you for having me. This is fun.
0: How has your quarantine been going?
2: Um, It's been a journey. Um, I definitely, uh, as I said before, I'm learning a little bit, a lot of platforms of technology, because I'm also homeschooling now. So that's a Mm nine-year-old. So that is, I mean, it feels like the days go fast because it is a busy day to get it all done. So, Right that might be a good thing right now.
0: Were you before well, I guess we'll get into this later. I'm just curious. Were you going into like a job? You yes. Know, like an office before? Or yeah?
2: Um, I so I this year I started um a nonprofit called Music is first. And um it was sort of to house a lot of different jobs I've been doing for several years, which is curriculum development and working with classroom teachers on music integration and then just straight up teaching. Um, and so I have, wow, cool. um, yes, I, I teach at one school in San Francisco unified one day a week and some others where I go in here and there and coordinate some other friends who are musicians that teach. And that's all kind of being reformulated. It looks like, um, so we also tried to get a bunch of resources online for free for people, but, um, yeah, we're 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 waiting and holding on what that's gonna look like maybe in a virtual platform. So
0: mm mm-hmm. Well, can you tell us about um tell us your story? Where did you grow up? How did you start playing music?
2: Oh, um, oh gosh. Uh I grew up here in the Bay Area. So I was born in uh Daly City and then grew up in the peninsula, which is near the airport. And I do not come from a musical family or a mm-hmm. Particularly, I would say I come from a very creative family, but not an artistic family. Um, my dad is a first-generation Italian American, so my my and my mom doesn't have a lot of family, but um, so most of my family that I kind of connect with are my Italian side. Um, and hmm. I grew up playing piano, and then um, I really wanted to learn how to play jazz. And we just didn't know how. I really didn't know how to access that. So uh, I didn't start playing percussion until I went to college. And I ended up taking a steel drum class and a West African drumming class. And then I kind of um, became addicted. Where did you do your undergrad? (laughs) Um, At UC Berkeley. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I have an undergraduate degree in conservation, and, um, cause to do, you know, I realized near the end, I was really loving music and I started taking more music classes, but, uh, to do a to get like a minor would have been another semester, or another year. And I think when you're like one of the first people in your family to, you know, or the first or second generation going to college, you don't, that was a luxury. So, um, right. I ended up coming back to it later and going to community college and getting some other classes under my belt. Cause I got a master's later on, but that was, that was the beginning of the journey anyways. How did you
0: do that um, transition between conservation and to do a master's in <laughs> percussion? You had to take a bunch of classes to get accepted in the program or how'd that work?
2: Um, oh gosh, it's so random, but I ended up, so I, so after I graduated, I ended up getting um, like a paid internship for nine months at a nonprofit called Union um, of Concerned Scientists, and it was nine months. Uh, yeah. And so I saved my money, and I knew I wanted to travel to Brazil because I had a friend who had gone there um, in college, and I had started taking some Brazilian classes, and um, so I kind of thought, oh, that'll be fun. And I'll do that. And I signed up for like um, a a month long Portuguese course in Salvador Bahia, and I had some oh, wow. family that had um, immigrated to Argentina from Italy that I was going to visit, and so I went, and um, it was really exciting, right? And um, I ended up staying for I guess eight or nine months, and um, oh wow. <laughs> Just kind of, I ended up teaching English. I, th- I met all these expats in in Salvador that were teaching to some corporate groups that were leaving. Um, I had saved, you know, saved some money, so I was able to do stuff, and I just kind of hung out, really, and did that did, for. Did you? A also,
1: did you pretty much stay in uh, Salvador, or did you travel outside?
2: I did. I mean, I traveled a little bit. I traveled around Bahia, and I went down to. Um, Sao Paulo and I had gone and then I took a trip to Buenos Aires and actually visited my relatives, which was really cool, um, in the middle. And then I was able to like re up my visa. Um, but it Mm. was, I got into Salvador and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. (laughs) I like, uh, I, there was so much, I was taking all kinds of classes and, um, I think what really was profound for me was I ended up, um, meeting somebody that in a house that I was living in that had, um, she needed help translating like a press release for an all woman drum group. And actually it was kind of like a copy of a, uh, Banda Dida, you know, the all girl mm. drum group. Mm. And, um, and I say it was a copy cause it was a total co- imitation of them. Um, and her husband had been living in France and came back and started this group. And she wanted him to learn English because she spoke English really well. And she, they were going to take this trip to New York and they had this um, press release. So I, I kind of helped her do it. And then she kind of went, well, do you want to trade drum lessons with my husband? And English for, for percussion. I went, um, yes. So <laughs> she told me to come to their rehearsal. And the whole focus of this, of this group was to really, um, help, you know, underserved young women and it was a real community project and they had some, some local funds to help. Like they paid for bus, you know, bus transportation, food, mm-hmm. and, um, and they were getting ready for the Lavage de the in January. So I think this might've been like around October at this point. So, um. Anyways, her husband, whose name was Minsinu, had absolutely zero interest in learning any English at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't know this. And, you know, I was like only about 19 or, you know, at the time. So I, um, I'm sorry, not 19. I was just out of college. So I was 22, I was 22. And, um. So I went and, you know, at first he was like, okay, um, why don't you hang out and watch? And then at the end he's like, oh, I'm tired. Just, you know, come back Thursday or come back tomorrow or whatever. So I came back and, and then he's like, uh, could you play this wood block on the beat? And I was, so I was like, okay. So I played on the beat and everybody was kind of like, wow, the gringa can keep a beat. Okay. Um, so then he gave me like a gunza to play a shaker and, um, you know, showed me and I was like, "We'll do that. I think he gave me like a triangle. He kept like upping my percussion a little bit, like, <laughs> and I kept coming back. Yeah, testing you. He was totally testing me and everyone else was testing me and they were just super nice though. And, um, after about a week, he, he was like, okay, well, we need more drummers. So do you want to play with us? And, um, you know, we rehearsed like every day for two hours and we'll pay your best fare. Um, so I was really, really excited about that. And I came every day and we never did any English at all. Um, <laughs> and then I got to, you know, we would rotate and it was that kind of Olodum or timbalada style. You know, there was like, you know, there was the Samba Hege. It was a bunch of different, you know, arrangements and, um, And the thing that was hilarious was I had this outfit that I had to wear um, and we would rehearse in the middle of the, you know, it's the right on the steps of the Jorge Armado Museum in the center of Pelorino, which is the like Mm. touristic hub of Salvador. Um, And we'd sit there on those steps and we'd rehearse. And there was a little reggae bar on the side where people would dance and tourists were just like in droves all the time. And I was five foot nine. And um, I had cut my hair really short right before I went to Brazil. And I, for some reason, dyed it blonde. So I stood out even more than you could ever stand out <laughs> being a white American girl in Bahia. And everybody else were these like beautiful, petite. Were you the? Afro-Brazilian, young women, and then there was me. You
1: were the only non-Brazilian.
2: I was the only non-Brazilian. I was the only mm. white person. I was like, I looked like an alien. Um, <laughs> and I was sweating, like, because it's so hot, right? And I'm like, <laughs> everyone else is glistening beautifully and like playing and hard. Right. And I'm just like glowing. yeah. <laughs> um, and so... But the thing that really like threw me the most was that like tourists would come up and take pictures of, of me with them or them, or, and I was just, <laughs> it was such a surreal experience. <laughs> um, and it was so amazing. It was so transformative because on the, on the day of the lavagem, I mean, I feel like this was a life changing experience. You know, the, the woman I had met Monica, her her family had been living in that square for you know, years we went to her grandmother's house which overlooks the, you know, the plaza there, the plaza. And I I didn't know what to do. They had all these stages. Like I had to take a, a bath with the hervedosi. I didn't know what to do. You know, I had to I walked over incense. I didn't know, you know, from the candomblé yeah. tradition and all of these mm-hmm. beautiful rituals. Um and they just kind of guided me through it and you know, getting there in the morning on the day of the lavage at like seven a.m., and just seeing everybody getting ready and other groups, the Filhos de Gandhi getting ready. You know, just to be able to see this um, this moment of community, and it was it was like spectacular. It was just so amazing. Wow. Um, and then we played. You know, we played for like four or five hours. And did that. So that was like, um,
0: four or five hours. Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. From the time we set up and then you go in the parade and just kind of like a carnival in Bahia where you have the, the different stations, you know, you got to kind of wait till your time because mm-hmm. everybody's I've never making... been, I've never been to
0: carnival there. So oh. yeah, can you ex- describe that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the Lavage do Vobofim happens in January. And it's a different route, right? Because you're all going to the the church, which or is water. in the, what's called the lower city, and um, mm. and so that's. But it's like the kind of also the way that it works is there's two routes. At, you know, at least when I was there, and that was in '99 that the, I'm talking about. Um, so you have like the Orla, and then you have the the route through Pellerino. and it's like so they have the trio electricos which are the big trucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everything just goes really slow because it's truck after truck. And then everybody who has purchased their ticket to be in that, um, you know, club or that thing you get like, so I did it. A friend of mine's brother got, got me one of these tickets. So how it works is you get your t-shirt that shows that you're going to be in that group like with that group Mm -hmm. and you have three days and different times assigned to when you when you go and it could be like four in the afternoon four in the morning it can be all different times because it's just going kind of 24 7 and then where, where that truck signs up you wait and then when it goes you know it's got this big amazing stage above and and all these hundreds of people and they have the the cords around it so that other people can't get in. Right.
0: And the then ropes, yeah.
2: the ropes and then they have everybody on the side though that can watch and it's a lot more, you know, like in in Rio you have the the samba drum but here it's on the street and so it's just wall to wall people. So when it's moving on its line, you know, it's going at like half a mile, you know, every yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm sorry, half a mile like every hour. It feels like it's just really really slow. So it takes, yeah. uh, you know, it takes a few hours for you to kind of get to your station and through and you can leave and come back. But um, so the, huh. it's very slow. And even in in like the Lovage de Bonfim, you know, it's not as sophisticated as Carnival. It's not got these big trios, but it's just the crowds and every group is organized so that you're processioning. And playing on your way up to the church, and when you get to the church, that's your group's moment to like play for the lavajim the bonfim, and that, uh, okay. and that you know sacred place, if you will. And um, and there's new, you know, and then they, of course, there's like news people and video cameras and all that, and then you go, and it just took a really long, a really long time. Yeah, interesting. So, well, I haven't um. Ex- talked about that in a really long time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you were so, there. You said about eight months.
2: Yeah, and I came. Yeah, I came back, and my visa had expired. Um, and I just had let it go, but then I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I came back, and um, and I still remember. I'll never forget this. I mean, can you imagine? I left. I was so nervous. Because at that time, if you extended your visa, you either paid the fine as you were leaving, or you would have to pay it when you came back. And it was a certain amount per day over the expiration Mm -hmm. at that time. And when I left, you know, there I went and I left out of the the airport in Salvador. And, you know, I talked to the guy for a second. He looked at me and he's like, you had a nice trip. And he stamped my (laughs) passport and I didn't get my fine. And off I went wow, wow. Nice. so that was I was very grateful for that and I I realized <laughs> I mean can you imagine that happening on the reverse never no mm-hmm. no way um but so then yeah I came back and and that's when um I started actually I sought out uh, Michael Spiro somebody had invited me mm-hmm. to go to like a class he was teaching on Brazilian music um hmm. and I went and did a little hang and I started studying with him and um, I started taking some classes at Laney on ear training and just classes I didn't have. Uh, Hmm. And I was actually like dancing and playing. I was, you know, doing carnival in San Francisco and kind of got into the Brazilian community here. Um, And then I, I was, you know, I got a job working at a, a, First, I was a temp, and then I got a job working for a grant writer for about a year and a half or two years, and I started, you know, just really studying and playing, and I was doing all that kind of stuff. And um, I decided, I guess, I would apply to grad school, which was just totally nuts and not really—I didn't really think it out, but I did apply and I did get in. So.
1: At that point, Amy, did were you were you reading music?
2: I always read music because I'd studied uh, classical piano. Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right. So, um, so you had, why
0: why do you say it was a bad idea or oh um, a thought out idea?
2: Um, I think I just you know I was trying to figure out how to do this. My family, you know, thought I was totally nuts. Um, and it was a kind of a crazy time to. To figure out, I was abandoning this sort of idea I'd had of doing um, conservation work, and so I think I gave myself this ultimatum: like, okay, um, you're 24, you're gonna either do this or not. And um, and so I I decided to apply and get a reel together of some stuff, um, and then I sent it off to a few schools, and then. Um, I was like, okay, if I get into a school, this is a path for me. If I don't, then I'm going to let this music thing go. So that was my awesome. My Where did you end up going? I ended up going to um, the California Institute of the Arts in Cal Arts in LA.
0: And, oh, right on. Was that
1: your dream school?
2: You know, it, it really was. Um, they have a world music program. And, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of colleges that do, um, it was small and I think I applied to, yeah, I applied to CalArts. I'd looked at UCLA, Long Beach, um, schools that I kind of, you know, was a little bit familiar with. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, it ended up being a really, yeah, really positive thing. And I was able to, that's really probably where I got serious about the pandeiru. So. That mm-hmm. was definitely a, a good thing for that.
0: Were you playing that in Brazil? Is that where you started Mm-mm. picking it up,
2: or where did you? I I started playing it when I came back. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, not there. No, I was doing more, um, just all the other kinds of like, uh, you know, like samba reggae and timbalada style and mm-hmm. that. Um, gotcha. That stuff and a little bit of candomblé drumming. Um, but no, I picked it up um, not at CalArts before I went, and I really wanted to play it. Um, but then when I was, so I could play it a little bit, just kind of keep time. But um, I think it's really, I mean, my unlocking of the instrument for me really is dedicated to um, a musician named Randy Gloss, who is now the the head of the World Music Program at CalArts at um, He is a Indian, like, proficient percussionist, um, but he played with a man there named John Bergamo, who is a, um, I mean, he's, like, a legendary percussionist who really took a lot of the Indian philosophy of percussion and became this amazing Mm -hmm. composer um, and had a group called Hands Ensemble. Um, And he has pieces that are, like... um, he has a, a piece where he plays like an airplane an airplane propeller. Um, hmm. He's just a really incredible musician, and he was still there when I started. Um, but I took his class where we played his um, his music, and a lot of it had a sort of an Indian philosophy to it. like there'd be pieces in thirteen or fifteen or lots of different odd meters mm-hmm. um, and different kinds of notation also. And I wanted to play my Pondero and Randy was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so he actually encouraged me to take the instrument and try and figure out, um, you know, these pieces that might be like, you know, three bars of 13 and then subdivided in, a, in another kind of polyrhythmic format. And then it goes to 15 and then it's seven and nine and all, you know, it's really. Oh my word. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was really freeing to be studying the instrument just about rhythmically and just counting. Um, And then the second thing that he did is he had become friends with Gello, who has come to Brazil. Mm. Um, And so Gello came and that was in 2001 and he came to L.A. and Randy had set him up doing workshops all over L.A. And he came with his project called Duo Elo, um, which he has with a great percussionist named Carlos Stasi, who is a professor um, at the University in Sao Paulo, but who had done his master's at CalArts. Um, and actually, my, you know later when I met my husband, he actually went to undergrad at CalArts. So he went to school with Carlos, um, which was a neat small world connection. But they, the two of them came to perform there duo project and and do workshops I think you know um, all over and I got to drive them around for that month so I kind of got like this hiatus Mm. from from school and hung out with them you know going to Long Beach and UCLA and Cal State Fullerton and you know LA Music Academy and all these different workshops they did. So you were doing all those workshops as well right? I mean, I got to, I mean, I was just there, like, I was like, oh, I'm a grad student driver assistant. And, um, and I got to just hang out and see them to talk about their, their stuff. And Gallo was really doing, I mean, the piece that was like this amazing piece that they were performing was, um, it's between a scraper and a pandeiro. Um, hmm. So Carlos Stasi ended up getting his PhD in uh, ethnomusicology um and hit his in scrapers in all Isn't kinds a, of yeah um in all different kinds of scrapers does that make sense yeah.
0: like, brian brian rice told us about him yeah
2: yeah he's um he's pretty phenomenal so that is so they have this anyways they have this project and so um anyways it, so they would perform this piece you can find it on the internet it's pretty amazing and, um, and so they were also really generous with their time and, um, answered a lot of questions and just gave me a lot of, um, like Gello gave me, I have no, I have like five notebooks of lessons with him. I just, wow. you know, in mini disc recordings, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my goals awesome. during the quarantine is <laughs> go through my mini disc recordings.
1: Oh my
0: god, I'm right there with you. <laughs>
2: I've got a ton. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I like the way you described unlocking the the instrument.
2: That's such a good way to describe that. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack with that little baby.
0: Yeah. Well, with almost with all of a lot of instruments there is. I mean it's like you can sort of you can do the basics where you're just sort of banging on it, but then you sort of get to a point where you move past that and it's I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to describe that, but unlocking is a great that's a great word.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, it was fun like at camp this year to see you unlocking the hipiki do amor.
0: i was barely hanging on (laughs) i don't know if i was unlocking anything
2: (laughs) that was fun though i had never it was my first time releasing that that instrument and seeing you guys playing it well oh
0: i love that drum it's one of my favorites yes um okay so then what did you do you're in grad school you're picking up the pandero Mm -hmm. then uh how did you move on from there?
2: Oh, um so it just so happened that year that there were two Brazilian grad students there. One, um, my friend Andres Carabellocci, who lives in Mariana, and my friend Chara Aronovich, who is from Sao Paulo. And Chara had transferred from he was an undergrad, but he had transferred from Arizona State, where he had a a scholarship and he had he had won like third place in the national like classical brazilian guitar competition and he was Whoa. really really talented and he introduced me with Randy to choro music
1: hmm.
2: and um so chada um, initiated a trio with another flute player that was there at the time and and then Randy being the most one of the most generous people i know just like gave me his entire library of Shoro music, which was pretty prolific to just like, Mm. you know, take copy things that were out of print and date and just absorb. Um, And then Chata also took it on himself to just kind of teach me um, about the music. So I feel like that was where that all began. Um, And we had our trio and we would play and we started doing some gigs and, um, and then my friend Andre was more of a Brazilian jazz, you know, he was at CalArts more to do jazz, but um, you know, we played and we did a, we did a, like we wrote a paper together on the intersection between Bossa Nova and jazz and American jazz. And
0: nice.
2: um, I just feel like that was really important. And I felt like in that way, the school was really supportive. You know, we started a batukada. They didn't have one. Um, you know, we just... Oh, played. nice. Yeah. With the were, school. Yep. And um, just kind of, you know, so like on my, on my master's recital, I did a piece that was um, a hybrid of a Ghanaian west african song called samba toque with batukada and just you know got to really work with my west african drum teacher and dancer and you know do some really creative and fun stuff um nice. while i was there i recreated like a lavage and a but we you know included like the modern dance department and it was really oh, um,
0: wow.
2: a special a really special time and I think that's one of the things that CalArts is known for because, um, you know, it was incepted by Walt Disney. He was given the Mm -hmm. land for free. And then his whole concept was to kind of have a a building where all of the arts would be adjacent. And that and so they really like fostered that kind of um, Hmm. collaboration was, you know, so that was, you know, the dance department was next to the music department and then there was the film and theater. So you would be asked to do things for other programs.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Cool.
2: And it just was really good world, real world, um, work experience also, you know, to be able to, to learn how to do that kind of stuff. Cause I think then after living in LA for almost 10 years, you know, you had a, a a taste of that if you were going to do something on a somebody's play or if you were going to you know right. do something on a TV show or a film or whatever it was. So Anyways, that that's how really it That's
1: Really cool. And now Amy, did you have like uh I, I know you studied with Gello, but did you have a pandeiro teacher or or a mentor oh, at that point?
2: Randy. Randy Gloss that was that, that right. he was, cause he's an amazing Pandeiro player. He's phenomenal. And so he often plays Pandeiro in hands ensemble, just not always in the traditional Brazilian way. Cause he also plays, mm-hmm. um, uh, a bunch of other frame drums, especially, but all kinds of percussion. Um, but I would say at that time, it was my lessons with Gelo that I had, you know, he was there and then he came back my second year too. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then. After that, I think, yeah, so that was like that time at at CalArts. And then I had also met, after my first year, I'd come up to jazz camp. That's how I learned about Brazil camp, is I went to jazz camp, Mm -hmm. and I met Jovino. Mm -hmm. And Jovino was so um, super supportive and told me about Brazil camp. So that's how I, you know, I learned about these communities, but I think, but that was in terms of Pandero specifically, um, Mm -hmm. those two at that time.
1: Mm, I see. Yeah. So do you, how was the scene back then? I mean, was it still growing? This was
2: in LA, right? So, Mm. um, well, let's see in the summer I came back, I would come up here and I would play. I played in Michael Gold's band, Misturada, and met Zach Mm -hmm. And so that was like really important. And then um, the scene in LA was happening. There were some, there was Katia Moraes was doing, she went, she taught at Brazil right. camp one time. And um, right. she had her group. There was the at the time there was the Mila, the Mosedagi Independencia de Los Angeles. Um, and there was a there was a pretty good pagogy scene. So I would see mm-hmm. Carlinhos down there and I would go, he had a couple gigs regularly and actually workshops that i used to go to in santa monica and see him play and um so i Hmm. definitely studied with him while i was there um this is de oro yes Carlinhos spandero de oro so he had um he used to teach at 18th street center which is you know jan who comes to brazil camp is the executive director there um and so she so he would have a class and there were a couple spots so. that's where I met um, Claudinho also
1: mm-hmm.
2: was in L.A. And um, and then I would go to Brazil and uh, I ended up going, gosh, almost every year, every other year. And I would visit my friend Andre uh, who would want like so I would bring him a guitar from here and hang mm-hmm. out with him. And then I'd go study in Rio and I'd study with um you know, I studied at uh, the Maracatu School, and I would study oh, nice. with some different people, and then just kind of keep working on it,
0: like but, private lesson kind of thing.
2: Yeah, at the Maracatu School. I mean, I studied with. I definitely went down and, and got a chance to study with Marco Suzano. Um, mm-hmm. I studied mm-hmm. with. Uh, I studied zabumba with Derval at the Maracatu. Um, cool. I took a couple of lessons from, um, I definitely, and then I went in 2007, I mean, this is pushing forward, but I went to the Shoro festival that Luciana Habelo was running at the time, um, with, I think, Ted Falcon, Brian Moran and Rebecca, and I all went the same year. Mm. Um,
1: I think I've seen a picture of you guys from back then.
2: Yeah. Back in the day. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> and i think i feel too like as much as like for pandero is one thing i think i i really feel like some of my teachers have been non pandero mm-hmm. players you know i think um when i mo- when i came after cal arts i played you know like carlos oliveira and claudio mm-hmm. viviano used to mm-hmm. mentor me and play with me and hire me um and I feel like with Claudio, I really became close in terms of trying to study his, you know, Timba style, like his brush on the Tantan. Um, mm-hmm. And then with Carlinhos, when he would have his group and, you know, like Carlos had a fajo group for a couple of years that I played in with Claudio, um, where I get to play Zabumba, Triangle and Pandeiro. And nice. I mean, those to have the band leader be, you know, such great musicians and. And and also, you know, even though, he, you know, and to be a guitar player and a composer like that, those were equally important musical trainings, you know.
0: That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, it's a when, it's you, a when you
0: were, um, yeah, <laughs> when you were going down there, what were you doing? Like, how long were you spending
2: down there and what were you doing here for work? And mm-hmm. how did you work that out? Um. Well, I, so my friend Andre has a, he would, we would work it out because um, sometimes I'm like, am I allowed to say this? I'm like, cause he would need like equipment. And so I could bring down like yeah. a guitar for him. Um, and then that would help, you know, like he might, he would get a discount on my plane fare, or, you know, we would kind of, and, and book a bunch of gigs. Gotcha. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think even one time I did a voiceover for a friend of his as part of my like, um, you know, they didn't have to pay somebody. They needed an English voice, and it was for um, a cattle farm, like they were selling their meat, and they needed the, you know, they were talking about like right, right, right. So I I did random things like that, Um, and then. And I would just go for three weeks cause I was, yes, I was working after I, um, but I worked on a school schedule. So after Arts oh, I gotcha, I worked, I came up to the Bay for a year. Um, and I actually, well, at that time I was in a serious car accident. So I had a year of, of medical, oh. um, stuff where I really couldn't do much, but, um, Oh my God. Yes. That was, that was an intense year. Um, um, And so, but then I moved back to LA, and I got a job at the LA Music Center, and that was being a teaching artist in the schools. And I was teaching bucket drumming, and um, my kind of a uh, curriculum that I had had because I'd always I would started teaching, and I had been a camp counselor, and I had worked at a, you know, I, I had started teaching music and doing after school programs and working with kids. So I had this little program. Called recycled rhythms that I came up with, and um, nice. And then I got a job at the LA Philharmonic, and it was a really amazing job to create um, a third grade percussion curriculum. Um, and so after that, I would do. I did some other curriculum design for them, and both agencies were amazing. They had great professional mm-hmm. development. They really respected their artists. Um, Awesome. I think they paid a a fair living wage. And especially with the LA Phil, they really invested. And so, you know, I was able to, I worked a lot. I taught a lot. and, um, And then, but in the summer, you know, I was free.
0: That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was good, and that's how you got into curriculum development because that seems to be like something you're doing now, right?
2: Yeah, I think you know. I think that's how I justified going to graduate school was like, okay, if I just become a music teacher or I do education, um, one, my family is going to understand a little more what I do, um, and two, I will have stable work. And I so I've I've never not been teaching. I don't, and I think that really. You know, and there have been times where I felt like I think at my most I was teaching like five days a week, twenty-five classes a week. I was really a lot. Wow. Um,
0: <laughs> well.
2: But like especially now and having a, a child and stuff, it's also this really wonderful stability because as he was a a toddler, I moved it more into the curriculum design, and I was able to work from home and. You know, I really enjoy it and I like working with teachers and um, and so much of my work and so much of the funding comes from, you know, serving um, like a lot of the work I've done now is they started to be doing early ed and working with Head Start or, you know, um, free and reduced kind of like public preschools and sites that wouldn't get like where parents can't really you know get to a mommy and me class or um i really feel like we're offering resources that um what
0: what do you do with a that. toddler <laughs>
2: what? what do you do with,
0: how do you can you describe yeah. that I, I don't have kids so i don't know how um, it yeah. works but can you describe that
2: i'm um, sure i so i do this thing it's called um so music is first is about that and so it's a music and literacy so basically um Let's say we will come in and it's, you know, first of all, little kids are so musical and artistic and free. So it's really fun Mm. to take music. Mm. Um, And and so a lot of what I do is bring books to life is what we kind of call it. So we might take a story and we'll um, like, let's say where the wild things are and, you know, You can take that book about monsters and this little journey, and then I create a soundtrack for it with, with the kids. And we do a bunch of music lessons. We might make instruments. Um, We'll learn a song. We might compose a song. Um, And so that's what that side looks like. And i work with, I've worked with K-5. I've worked with middle school. Um, You know, I teach adults in the summer at camp. So it's really not just early ed, but I do... I think I do like working with early ed because I think it's really, um, needed, you Mm -hmm. know, I can see that for some kids it's really, you know, it really unlocks something that, that is different than another subject. It gives them a chance to move around and express themselves. And, um, so a lot of the work I do is kind of trying to create parent engagement sometimes, you know, music is a great way to connect with families. Um, especially if you're in a preschool where there's like 13 languages spoken and a lot of Whoa. parents are not English speakers. So how do you mm-hmm. connect, you know, stuff like that. Um, That's great. And I think it, you know, it gives me a justification. I feel like my my music is, you know, music can be a very self-absorbing um, thing. So it's a nice balance.
0: Hmm.
1: Yes. Interesting. Now, Amy, um, your whole, well, your family, you and your spouse are both musicians, correct?
2: Yes. Um, yeah, my, we met, you know, who we, you know, the story we met through, um, Rebecca Kleinman. Oh, really? That is how I know my husband. Um, yes, she had a group in LA, um, and he was the drummer Lorca. And Mm -hmm. so, um, she did a great CD at the time, and she had like Jovino on it, and she had hired Ayerto. Um, mm-hmm. Wow! And then she was doing the CD release, and we met at Brazil Camp, of course. So um, <laughs> she, you know, she had the CD release in Santa Barbara, and so I, I did it, and it was great music, and um, and lo- so that's how I met Lorca. Awesome. So. He has, he is a, more of a jazz. In fact, he's very, he's actually excited because his, he has a CD that just, he just got the album this week. So he's excited. He's got a jazz album nice. he's releasing.
1: We both have uh, jazz drummers as husbands.
2: <laughs> oh, I didn't know that, Courtney.
1: Diana. That's Diana.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, he's a jazz drummer?
1: That's yeah, he right. is.
2: Yeah. I think I did know about
1: them. Yeah.
0: Latin oh. jazz. All kinds of jazz. Um, oh, I thought he just mostly specified or mostly no, stuck with Latin jazz. Oh, no. cool.
1: He does everything. Um, and Amy, uh, one fact about your husband is that
0: his dad is Billy Hart, correct? That is correct. Yep. Sure is. Yeah. And, uh... Scott Kettner studied with him, I think. Right, he's the one that told him about Monica too.
2: That is correct. Full circle. Oh. Yes. As the legend goes, <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that not a small world? I know. Um, I know when 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 Billy um, he's called Grand Dude in this household. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when he comes. It's amazing. Cause you know, he played with Stan Getz, he played with Joao Gilberto, mm-hmm. he's played with, you know, I mean, so it's, he has this funny story that when he was going to play with Joao, um, you know, he pulled out his brushes trying to play as soft as possible. And it was like way too loud. Um, <laughs> and so he finally, you know, I, there's, it, you know, there's layers and he, he's a really great storyteller and, um, but at the end of the day, he went and found, you know, he said back in that time when you'd get a balloon, like at the circus, mm-hmm. it'd be on a really thin dowel. Um, oh, yeah. So that's what he used to play. Oh. <laughs> wow. And that, he liked that. So. Awesome. It's really neat to ask him questions. Um,
1: I about bet, yeah.
2: Pretty much anything in music. <laughs> in the last 50 years he actually has a personal connection to right. he was or...
1: yeah he was just here not that long ago in Portland
2: oh right yes because he um, that's right he played with the cookers what's that was he with the cookers
1: um I'm not sure I think George Colligan brought him here to For- oh, Portland that's
2: State right. oh that's nice yeah he He came out and played at Yoshi's um, Mm. with the cookers. And then he went, and that's right, he went to L.A. and then Portland, I think. And then he came back and did something. So that's when we saw him, too.
1: Wow. What a family. Yeah.
0: Small world. Super drummy. (laughs) drummy <laughs> percussive.
1: <laughs> hey, Amy, can you tell us about some of your current and longstanding projects?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, well, you know, Falso also is mm-hmm. my show group here. And, you know, again, I met Zach and Zach and then, um, at Brazil camp and, he introduced me to Brian and then we, we've had Falso Baiano. So right now we're, you know, we're, we're showing it up in the Bay area and, and learning how <laughs> to use the acapella app. At least I am. Um, as we kind of, it's been fun with, with all the different musicians. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All Choro the different combinations.
1: Stuff.
2: Yeah. So it's kind of like whoever's available. So that's fun. Um, and then let's see. Front, also another brazil camp connection was um i guess the big thing that i've been working on the last few years is um the connection with rogerio souza mm-hmm. um and adinho and the duo violon plus one project so last year we released our album historia de Choro," and um that kind of came out of working with rogerio for a couple years and trying to he's like an encyclopedia and so that album is every single song is a different rhythmic style in the shoro genre and you know aims to sort of show i guess do two things show all the different sides of shoro um be musically artistic of course that's always the goal Mm -hmm. and um and sort of showcase subtly that you Know one of the things that I've been really on a thing about lately is that I think there's this real preconception, I mean, misconception, excuse me. Um, and I hear it at Brazil Camp every year that choro is a very white music when samba mm. is a very um, Afro Brazilian or you know m- more mixed or diverse music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that comes from. The fact that a lot of jazz musicians or maybe white audiences in North America have become attracted to hmm. Um but I don't think that's the historical or Brazilian relevance. So it's been really interesting over the years. I like sort of a, a talking a talking point, and and um, and so this was sort of like we did some things where Rogério Rio was really great to talk to about that and so we like did a piece Alundu which is an African um, originated rhythm Mm -hmm. and style but also um, you know used in the shoro and an early shorino to kind of show that that's not the the real history of the music
0: right Um, so could you talk about the different styles of short so when I first I was first exposed to shoru at um brazil camp obviously um I guess not obviously but we talk about brazil camp all the <laughs> yeah, time so. totally. that <laughs> that's where I was that's where I saw I mean a lot of I was exposed to a lot of things there but um so can you talk about the different kinds because the first the first thing that hit my brain about shorter was this one style that was very uh lots of band
2: um, oh,
0: Gafiera. and kind of, kind of, I, I don't, kind of, um, bouncy sounding, more mm-hmm. polka sounding, maybe. Oh, uh huh. What is that kind called? And as a, oh. as compared to like churinio, like there's like some slower stuff that I really like, but some of the more bouncy stuff I'm not as into. But oh, yeah, can you sort of describe that. So you lay it out for us. Sure,
2: totally. Um, I love this question. So when I when I think about Choro, is Choro became began to encapsulate the music you know, and this is going to be my best, um, you know, again, a non-Brazilian sure. historian. Sure. Whatever. But, sure.
0: Um, well, we're non-Brazilian, so we'll right. probably understand it the same way you do,
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> you know? Well, I, the way that like, I think of it now is, um, and it's been an evolution, you know, and I used mm-hmm. to think that, sure, it was like the earliest form of Brazilian music, meaning it wasn't African. It wasn't uh, indigenous. It wasn't European, but really, I think now I look at it as with Brazil, you know, Mashishi is really the first music that wasn't something that was um, that was like developed in Brazil, right? It's its own rhythmic style. It's its own music. Now before that you had your Brazilian waltz or your Brazilian polka and these sort of, you know music that was that had come from Europe and had like the African influence or was Brazilianified. Um, but when you really think about the fact that in Brazil, the polka craze was like this really mm-hmm. long period of time where there were all these different style polkas. And um, I heard Jovino give a talk at jazz camp where he he gave, I love his metaphors, where he he like did the equivalent of, it's like going to a rave for three days. Like people would go to these polka like festivals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like but the rave from the early 1800s. <laughs> and so, um, but it does give you a sort of, a window in and the way that I like to think of mashishi is lundu is an African dance right mm-hmm. and um, and so it's like if the lundu and the polka had a baby you'd get the mashishi and mm-hmm. really what mm-hmm. that is is you have that one and a two and, right and so but then you also have that polka vibe with his on the and like ant and right the bouncy thing that you're talking about mm-hmm. I think Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the thing about Mashishi is because there's so many different kinds of polkas and influences, you can also have that Mashishi that sounds more like a bayou, which has that like one two three one two three one two three, one two three one two three one two. Um, or you mm-hmm. can have that one, and a two, and, and it sounds very square. And then sometimes there's a straight up polka where it's just like the one, and two, and three, and, <laughs> um, and so... I think the way that Rogerio explained it, because what he did is he ended up studying piano charts of Ernesto Nazaré and Chiquinho Gonzaga. And, you know, they really cemented these styles in. And Ernesto Nazaré was, you know, prolific in his compositions. And he called the machichi a tango brasileiro because machichi hmm. was not allowed, it was prohibited. You know, the pandera was prohibited and it was because it was a dance and it was a close dance. So you were touching each other, right? It was a partner dance and it was too, um, sultry. It was too sexy and it was seen to be played by lower classes and actually lower classes who weren't white. And so because Chiquinha Gonzaga, who was, you know, one, she was amazing. I mean, there's a novella about her. She was um, the daughter of a former slave and then her father was like a European sort of military elite, I believe. So she was like an upper class, mixed Mm -hmm. race woman who also, you know, smoked and was divorced and um, hung out and was this amazing musician composer. And so she was a real forward thinking person of her time and they both cemented this form of music called the mashishi. And that was really when I think the music of Brazil became like solidified in that way, right? And then um, when you take out that, uh, uh, you already start to get in the first cell of the music, a little bit of the samba feel. So if you take out that and, you know, you start to get the choro and the samba pattern in instrumental music and I'm sure it was happening you know in the Samba de Hoda, right in the and in, in in the Teherus, but you start mm-hmm. to get it in the instrumental and the way that and this is coming from Rogerio and I think this is one of the like big aha moments is he would say from setting the charts you know you'd start to see it wasn't all at once you know you'd start to see that a turnaround maybe cut off that two in and you hear it for like one bar that little. Mm-hmm. Or you hear a little fill. And he said, so if you look at the evolution of the music that's written, you can see the polka, you can see the syncopation come in where you have that, uh, 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 and that little bit of syncopation that came from the habanera, which is the Spanish rhythm. Um, and, you know, you start to see these influences. And then, you know, you'd see a whole, you'd see a, whole a section. Then you'd see a whole song in the mishishi. And then the same thing as time goes on, oh, you see a little turnaround and you see that, oh, they cut that little and off. So now it just sounds more like right. Choro. Oh, then it's a whole A section. Oh, now there's a whole new song. And the way that he explains it, it just sounds so right. It sounds like, mm-hmm. oh, that makes so much sense. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, Choro later became to be known as the genre that encapsulates all of that. So a valsa, a polka, a mashishi, a lundu, you can have all those kinds of styles of shoru, and they all be Okay. And then I think where it gets into the next big segment is that you have this pishanginya, and I think that's where the white-black thing gets mistaken also, is because, you know, pishanginya was also composing for the samba schools, and a samba composer. And... They were all hanging out together. And there was this woman, uh, Siata, who had a teheru who used to host these parties. And that's where Mm -hmm. a lot of the soup of Shoro and Samba and stuff was happening in Rio. And so um, I think that's where you start to get that Samba swing happening in Shoro. And it was so, you know, he was the next phase of really making that genre important. And then later with Jacob, you start to have that real samba swing come in. And that's his, a lot of his compositions are known as the Shoro Sambas or Samba Shoro. Mm. Um, And so that- So they weren't really doing that swing before? Um, Oh, I think, I mean, you can hear that. You can hear it. Uh, I think it has to do more. They were doing that swing. I mean, that samba is in there, that early style. Mm -hmm. But I think with Jacob- the way that he brought the mandolin into it. um, And he just kind of was the next phase of the music um, and made it more another modern sound. Um, You sort of can hear it in the instrumentation, you know, and I think of Pichenguinho, right? Pichenguinho is so known for his counterpoint, the melodies. He has some awesome sambas as well, but then Jacob was really like, I think that's where that term Samba shoro became cemented.
0: Hmm. Gotcha.
2: So I don't know if that's, if that makes sense, that sort of. That yeah, it was really is amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, I,
0: it actually ties into, I'm, I'm reading, I'm trying to read this book in Portuguese. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, and it's talking about that. I mean, I, I've been working on it for like a month and I'm only on page 13, but, um, cause yeah, it's hard to read, but um, anyway, yeah. So that's okay. tying into a lot of what I'm reading, but um so is there a way to tell if you're like, say you're going to buy a Shoro CD, is there a way to tell or you just need to know um, if it's going to be bouncy polka Shoro or oh. if it's going to be like <laughs> another style? Mm-hmm. Um, is say, you know, does, it have, does it have a special subgenre?
2: No, I think it would be like... Name? no No, not so... I mean, n- no. I mean, unless you're buying Shoro okay. G- gafiera music, which is more like the big band style where you have like the um mm-hmm. you know the samba gafieira, then you can definitely know that you're getting um a certain style I think it has more to gotcha. do with the composers the songs mm-hmm. and then yeah. and yeah. also the yeah. band because you know like let's say Falso Baiano right we've done all kinds of music sometimes we play a more classical sometimes we play a more samba um and I think it just, it has to do with who's, what, who's playing. So, you know, like for. Right.
0: It's like, it's confusing for somebody coming in from the outside to.
2: It's, cause I mean, it's such it's, a broad. It's totally confusing. Category. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I always start, I started with uh, Pichinguinha and Jacob, because Jacob's band to Epica de Oru that went on mm-hmm. after he passed, you know, they're, they're all about that style. Um, and then if you have, um, you know, and you start to learn the groups, right. You start to learn that Uh you have different stylings Uh of groups that are more, um, you know, I sometimes, I've sometimes given the example of Shoro, like the Marsalis brothers, you know, like there's, Mm -hmm. right. two the there's one that's like this is jazz and it's traditional in a certain form and there are there's that school too in brazil that is like very much more traditional and then there's another side that's much more fusion and avant and you know so it, it would be like that. if
0: someone just saying i want to i like some jazz and i don't like other jazz i mean it seems mm-hmm. like you know it's jazz is so yeah. broad so it covers so much yeah yeah
2: cool. you know I what a good like, movie
0: so much... is oh go oh, ahead sorry.
2: Oh, I was going to say for Rogerio, he doesn't, I don't think he, I mean, he thinks about Shora with the form and the instruments, but I think for him, he just thinks of it all as like an umbrella of samba in a way, you know, mm-hmm. that was all I was going to say.
1: Oh, um, I was just going to mention Courtney, if you want like an intro too, there's a good movie called Brasilarinho that
0: I don't
1: know. I don't know if you can, oh, yeah. have you seen it, Amy?
2: Yeah. Um, and a lot of those people from Epic and like Jose yeah. is in it and um Ginga's in it. Inga.
1: Like um I yeah, think all kinds it's of on YouTube. It. I, I think, think it it's... is too.
2: Yeah. It's been long enough now. We'll put a link
1: to it.
0: If it's on there, we'll we'll try to link it up. Yeah, it's older and it's um cool.
1: it's long, but it gives you a lot of information and mm-hmm.
0: um Yeah, cool.
1: Yeah, so they
0: would probably have examples too. They'd probably play
1: play yeah they play all kinds of stuff yeah Um, it is it
2: is a really good that is a great window in Mm -hmm. and
1: people you actually know (laughs) yes a lot of hotel
2: camp people
1: yeah isn't rogerio's in it isn't he i think he's in there somewhere
2: yep he's totally in there at the big table like the giant hoda Mm
1: mm-hmm
2: Um, you know, and then there gets to be the whole other thing too, of like, there's the the Rio style and then there's the Sao Paulo Mm. style and then there's the Brasilia style, you know, and they all have their (laughs) own feel and, you know, so.
0: Awesome. Um, what, what do you guys, with your Grupo Falso Bayano, you guys try to cover a lot of different styles or what's your, like, what's your favorite? What's your love?
2: Um, I think we like to, we like I mean, Brian and Zach are coming from a jazz background. So we definitely, mm-hmm. um, we were really influenced, um, you know, by some of the younger players that were taking that sort of like almost a fusion approach too. And I think like, even with Rogerio, he did, he had a group called no Impinga de agua in the nineties that, um, you know, they put electric bass in and it's very fusiony. Um, and it was, so it was termed Shoro Novo. And that was like hmm. what that term is. But I think we definitely like to take the improvisation, sometimes a little out, a little less traditional from a Shoro format and, um, and definitely try and, you know, have fun with it. So we, I mean, we play a lot of Jacob, a lot of Fishing Guinea. Um, we'll play a Bayou and a Northeastern tune. And Do you and do a time. lot of
1: your own compositions?
2: You know, our last album, um, we featured Brian's originals. So mm-hmm. we definitely tr- try and arrange them. And then on the last album, we did, I think, three or four of his originals. And that's where mm. we... Cool. Um, and that one was called "Depois" because it was like, okay, after after the kids have been born, <laughs> people have been married, there's been a divorce. <laughs> like. It's, it's like <laughs> <laughs> nice. This is it.
0: We should call this our our depoish phase of the Brazilian beef. <laughs> is it right? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I got a divorce and you <laughs> had breast cancer, and we're just like, kind of coming out, Yeah. coming out of it. After <laughs> <laughs> the what next, the next phase. <laughs> it
2: says a lot, doesn't it? After, <laughs> just after.
0: <laughs> yeah, after it does.
1: I like that. <laughs> And Amy, in the, being in the Bay Area, you played with uh, Georgie Alibé and his um, Samba group too, right?
2: Yes. Oh, Georgie. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, I think, um, well, when we started, you know, I got to know Georgie a little bit better when we started doing the project with Ana Carbacci, um, our, our Samba de Haiz thing, um, before she left and moved back to Brazil. Um, mm-hmm. And she was so amazing. And so to have that kind of root Samba, you know, and when I first heard about Samba de hayes, I didn't know what that was. So if anyone listening doesn't know what that means, I think of it as it's like Samba with acoustic instrumentation, right? So mm-hmm. like the same Shoro instruments. And, and so having Georgie was really important and he was super generous um, with us. And then, hmm. yes, he's called me every once in a while for his Pagogi stuff. And I think I tend to just, um, I just play Pandeiro glue and that's usually my role. And it's always fun to sit next to him because he is such a creative musician. Mm-hmm. He is really fun to play with. So, And
1: you, and you played in Samba Hill as well, right?
2: I had never played with Samba Hill. Oh, really?
1: I thought um, you did.
2: No, not for Carnival. I played with them mm. at Brazil camp and I've, I've taken, but, um, I know I'm told this is no excuse, but you know, rehearsal is on Sunday evening and yeah. it's hard with a school night and a third grader at home. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, that one is a hard one. For, and then anyways, that one's hard for me to get to, but I've gone and taken his Pagogi classes. He'll do small group Pagogi classes. Um, and I, and that's also, he does. And he's also doing the kind classes too, but. Right. I tried to go to his pedagogy stuff.
1: Yeah. I think I just like had you and Michelle and Rochelle all like playing together for some reason in my head.
2: Um, well, I love them both dearly. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's, I mean, I think I've done things. I haven't played with Samba Hio. No, I was li- well, when I was living in LA and they were really in Samba Hio, no, but then I haven't done it. Not yet. It's on the list.
1: Okay. <laughs> After. <laughs> but yeah.
2: They should be getting well, I guess they won't be getting started. Oh God, Carnival now it makes me ugh. Yeah, all these yeah, things it was so everything. Yeah, everything. So but yeah. Yeah. He had, but yeah, Georgie. Yeah, Georgie around here and then um let's see. Jovino comes down every every year for jazz camp and it's fun to play with Mm -hmm. him and you know we're all playing I mean I just had a bunch of random freelance gigs get canceled too and um it was it was actually a little bit scary because we were so Jose and Edina were here Mm -hmm. and we were in Arizona with um Stephen Guetta at Northern Mm -hmm. Arizona Mm -hmm. University and then LA right as this was starting to kind of um unpack and so luckily both well adinho lives in chicago now but um Rogério got his flight changed but it was really scary it was like having to go to the airport for almost a half a day um to get his ticket changed he was going to go on to the east coast and then when he got to brazil he was quarantined for because he had no. been here mm-hmm. right um and he was going to head up to Seattle and I think hang out with Nayuki and those guys for a little mm-hmm. bit. And so all that was changed. Mm. Um, so that was a real, that was a real moment.
0: Yeah. It was crazy for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that it's affected everybody. You know, normally things don't affect Everybody every, in the world. Yeah. Everybody in the world, every country in the world. Normally, you know, it's like an earthquake or it's regional, even if it's big, you know, earthquakes can be huge, but, or, um, yeah, hurricanes, you know, but this is like everybody.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, I've been talking on, um, on, on, well, WhatsApp with my cousin. I have a, I have cousins in Italy, right? And so one is, one is a really close cousin. Um, and so she was a couple of weeks ahead. And it just, you know, they're much more restricted than we are. And we're right. pretty restricted mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting shared experience that we're all yeah. undergoing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So we'll see. I are you, are you teaching
0: online lessons and do you, do, yes. that, do you do that? Like individual I private lessons?
2: That. Yeah. It's actually, that's on my bucket list is to refurbish the website. Um, but yes, I have, I, you know, it was really amazing. I, so I did this Pandeiro book that is really, mm-hmm. um, it's a sort of a beginner's guide. And and what I wanted to do was, sh- was have these like snippets of history. Cause sometimes I've gotten great Pandeiro books in Brazil, but they're just the exercises and the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they don't talk about why or how you play the music. So that was kind of, um, what I wanted to do. So that was great. So I'm actually going to have my first zoom hangout on Monday. And um, I'd put it I just put it up on Facebook. Like if anybody wants this, I have it if you have extra time. And, a, and I got a lot of traction from it. It was really fun. So I thought, well, let's do a zoom hangout and see how it goes. Um, as a big group, just if you have questions and I want to uh, share about the book my...
0: specifically is that are you saying about the book specifically yeah. or about, or
2: yeah about, about the book and just pandeiro and technique and oh, okay. um and just kind of like you know um i just wanted to be able to share like some of my favorite like brazilian pandeiro players and re- where do i go where do i like you know i feel like yeah as a non-brazilian player, I obviously when I'm my own identity and I'm always going to have a certain accent, but it's like, well, where do I go? If I can share um, and give light to some of the people that have been amazing to me and that I think are amazing. And then, you know, that's obviously what I'm supposed to do is share those resources. So we're going to do that Monday and then see if we might do a group lesson and in the future, and I'll do a little zoom hangout and then, and I've done a couple of private lessons. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, Lorca's been doing them every day almost. He's got all his students went online, so he's a little bit more savvy at it than I am. Um, yeah, but it's there's been a fun lot of people doing out. that
0: that have just quickly switched and are doing mm-hmm. either like you know they, they just sort of have like a join me in my lesson and give me a donation, or people are like doing you know all straight up private yeah. lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. How can people get a hold of your book?
2: They can actually it's finally up on my website, which is um amimo.com, a m i m o.com. And um and then there's, you know, it's I put a little post on my Facebook, but the website is is up and running.
0: Awesome. Do you, um is that where people contact you about private lessons as well?
2: They can. Yes, they can contact me there as well. Cool. So Perfect. It's, and I'm. Um, I know that's. It's. There's no time like the present to get you know all right. this stuff organized. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um. Can you tell us one question we like to ask people is what has been one of your happiest moments playing playing music and being involved in this?
2: Oh, wow. Um. So many. Um. So many happy moments. Um. Okay, I'm going to give you three. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> um, I think one is a Brazil camp moment, and um, that's always really important. And um, so one of my best moments was when I remember I met Jovino, who has been so important for me musically, at camp and I just loved him so much. And I remember it was like, if I could just one day play with him, that would just be <laughs> it. And so I think the first time that I actually played like a gig, a real mm-hmm. gig with him a concert was one of those moments. And, mm. um, and then I think recently, one of my favorite moments was, um, you know, when we did this release with Rogerio and Edinho. um, I had applied for a grant from the San Francisco arts commission. So we you know, did this grant and I have this album and, and, and I think when we did our CD release um, and we played in this really beautiful church here called old first church in San Francisco, it's a giant cathedral style church and they have a beautiful concert series. And, you know, I just think that, um, you know, that, was like, oh, was just the feeling of accomplishment mm-hmm. um, was it. And I think that's, you know, and then the third is anytime I think I play with, whether it's Falso Bayano and people from Brazil camp or jazz camp, it's like this community of it. I'm, I don't know. It's always so happy. It really is a happy thing, but those two do stand out for me. So.
1: Nice. Awesome. And We've asked you a lot of questions, but are is there anything you'd like to let our listeners know that we haven't
2: asked you? Oh, um, let's see. If you are a parent and you're looking for free music activities during the quarantine, or you're a music teacher, because I've made some music teacher connections. Um, they're they're raw and real, but I'm using my child labor right now. I'm using my son, um, so we're posting them on please like music is um, com, and we have a Facebook, we have a Pinterest and we're actually in the months of March and April, we're asking for donations to pay our teaching artists that had their residencies cut short. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if people want to check that out. Um, and then in the future, when this is over, um, it's going to be on my website, but Hojerio um, is trying to plan a really small group Shoro trip. Um, to brazil during oh, that's right. next year we're going to do it
1: this summer right we were going to do it in july mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yes he's going to do it in july and it's um going to be him and his brother and then and i think in the next year we're going to be doing a really exciting project so i applied for another grant and um so it's going to be where we did the history of shoro thing as i was talking about mm-hmm. that kind of intersection between shoro and samba um, the theme of the show, we're going to put on a big show and um, it's going to feature sort of the the vibe that was happening at um, that Casa Ciata, mm-hmm. the woman who was responsible and feature that intersection between Shora and Samba and have Harvey Wineapple and Claudia Vilela and some other people involved. And that'll be coming up in the next, you know, we have to do it and um but we have the funding and so that's going to be coming up in the future so i'm really 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 excited about that yeah cool things you're
1: doing and we're going to see amy up here in portland too hopefully this fall
2: oh yes in in october that's right with the Mm -hmm. guys oh and um oh my goodness i have one more thing too um of course so i am going to um so there's a great, there's a drummer in town named Jeremy Steinkohler, and we are decided to do, um, a frame drum festival in the fall. Oh, wow. So, um, nice. wow um, Yeah. We're going to try it out for a one afternoon and we're going to feature, um, the, you know, the actual, like the gospel, the new Orleans style tambourine,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, with uh, Rhonda Crane, who's a great, uh, singer and tambourine player and then we're going to feature Jeremy's going to teach the boron, which is the Irish frame mm-hmm. drum. Uh, we're going to have Jim Santy Owen teaching kanjira and sort of north Indian and then I'm going to do a pandero thing and we're going to pilot it and hope that it has legs so we have awesome. um that that has that'll be up by the time this goes we'll hopefully have that that'll be on my website we just finished the website for that so
0: Oh, is, right that. is that the one with all the like,
2: like the chains hanging on it? The really big. Oh, drum? oh gosh. No, that's the the Persian drum, right? The mm-hmm. daf or the. Um, yes. You know, the oh, that thing is so yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. That thing is so cool. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> that. No, the conjira is the one that is, it looks, um, actually, I think there's some historical reference that the pandero comes partially from the conjira. It's a smaller pandero, Mm -hmm. and it has one jingle, but you hold it in your hand, and you play it with your fingers, kind of like a, more like a tabla. tabla. Mm. Oh, interesting. Cool. I have to Google it. Yeah, so that'll be, that'll be coming up. We were going to do that in May, but now it'll be, I think it's actually going to be better it'll be in September Mm -hmm.
0: great cool
2: all that fun stuff coming up awesome
0: well I feel like you have a lot of information in your head we barely scratched the surface of of you so we'll have to have you on again thank you so much for (laughs) Uh, coming on the podcast
2: thank you so very much for having me I really really appreciate it and what you both are doing it's such a wonderful thing
1: And it's always great to uh, feature a female, another female on the podcast, too.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening to this interview. Um, We will have links. She has a bunch of links. We will have all of those on our website at thebrazilianbeat.com. So, man... I wish
1: people would write to us or something because I'd give them a shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, since there are none, I'm going to leave uh, that part out
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lonely Hearts Podcast.
1: Please send us your uh, comments, memes, gifts. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, say hi. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Instagram. We're not TikTokking.
1: You're TikTokking. I'm not TikTokking. I just like to watch the videos. They're funny.
0: <laughs> I don't have enough I like, time.
1: I don't have enough time to make a TikTok video. I like saying that. You get really bad. I know. I am not. <laughs> uh,
0: <sighs> everybody, stay healthy. Stay safe. We need you to stay alive so that you can play in big, big drumming groups in the future. So. And we need you to listen take care of yourself. In. <laughs> Be listeners. We need you to listen to our podcast, so don't get sick and die. Yes, please. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Ciao.